We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and I am very excited for us to be previewing the first round matchup against Memphis Grizzlies. It's been a couple years since we got one of these. This is a gift, and I think we are in for a great series. I think this is way more like a 2-3 matchup than a 2-7 matchup. Both teams are really good on the defensive end. You know Memphis is going to have a level of smoke and intensity They've got some history there of woofing at each other that I think is going to be great, especially now that LeBron is surrounded by a lot more talent. So just before we get into the matchup, you were talking about this uh, before we hopped on, D, about your level of excitement for this series. I think we're in for for a great one. So I said this yesterday, and I wrote this um, at Silver Student Roll in a post. It should be up by the time that you guys hear this. But I love the playoffs. The idea of what you can be and what you want to do, and then the other team desperately trying to take that away, and and the war of attrition that comes from the adjustments and the counters and the counters to the, to the counters. And by the time you get to game five or game six in a somewhat evenly matched series, there is so much of that gets stripped away, and it's just the idea of of who can actually perform and execute at the level that they need to in order to win. It's like basketball is so often reduced to this idea of like stories and narratives and all of this other stuff. And that stuff is important. It's like the drama of the league. We've talked about the drama sure. of the league. It and and like, we love that yes. stuff too. No, we, like we love that stuff too. But the X's and O's and and the tactical excellence that is required in order to win in the NBA playoffs is incredible. And my love for that is what drives like my love of the game, basically. And so the playoffs are here, Mike, and there is nothing better to me than watching two really good teams go at it and and tactically match wits and try to find the exploitable advantages game after game after game and the other team doing the same to you. And that push and pull of who comes out on top at the end of a series, there are no mistakes made. The winner earned it. And it's that part of things that I am most excited about as 
the Lakers are here again, led by LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis, who, hey, happen to be two pretty good playoff performers. So where is your head at as, as you get ready to travel with the team to go to Memphis for game one? Well, so much about how I view basketball is it was shaped by those long Laker playoff runs in my first two years here in 08, 09, and then 9, 10. And of course, the Lakers win both times. And just listening to Kobe and listening to Phil Jackson speak after those games and and then going into the next season and applying a lot of what those lessons and realities are and then understanding what the regular season means and what it's for. And I just think that somewhere, especially with with this season, and I think this will play into the argument that Pete's been making. This has just been a different regular season. Mm-hmm. And I think that the playoff, the playoff series, and specifically for the Lakers, the matchups and the, the things that they're going to be able to do, I think, uh, are going to be different from what was available to them on a nightly basis uh, in the mm-hmm. regular season. And so when you look and you see, so Memphis is the two seed, the Lakers are the seven seed, Memphis wins X amount more games, you know, and you would sort of assume, um, you would assume that the way that, like Memphis would be the favorite uh, if if you just looked at the stats for the full season. But the best window that we can kind of look at is post-trade deadline in which the Lakers and the Grizzlies are close in net rating, right? It's plus 4.9 for the Lakers. It's plus 4.1 for the Grizzlies. But Memphis had a a pretty nice Mm -hmm. cushion on two. They were able to step back a little bit. The Lakers had to push. I think that accounts for a couple of points in the net rating, right? So so Memphis creeps up a little bit and, and they're close. And then... You consider the injuries at hand, and for Memphis, it's Stephen Adams and it's uh, it's Brandon Clark, and that that certainly hurts them. Although, you know, you guys were just talking on the prepod while I was frantically packing uh, as I'm about to go straight to the plane <laughs> after we end up in the pod. And you know, Stephen Adams has been played off the floor uh, in certain playoff matchups. Clark, I think, is is a bigger yeah. hit there because he's the kind of guy, although he has some limitations. So it's just that. Like this, this series is, I think, going to come down to a couple of key points that I'm sure we're going to going to hone in on. But it's not it's not one that the Lakers should enter thinking that there isn't a, a pretty clear path to victory. Not that they That's will right. do it for sure, but there is a way there's a there's a way to beat this Memphis team that I think that Memphis might not be you know fully aware of just watching the Lakers day to day in this regular season. So at, with that, Pete. Either you either take that point uh, or go wherever you want with it. But that's the, the way that I've been seeing this, the more that I've watched Memphis and uh, the last couple of days and kind of looking at everything and thinking about what the matchups are going to be. Um, I, I do. Th- I do feel decent uh, going in from a Lake. Yeah, we are. We absolutely have a chance. And, and the team is we're active our participants in our own agency at every level. Right. And uh, and so let's get into the nitty gritty about what that looks like. So let's start with the Memphis Grizzlies on offense and the Lakers on defense. And the head of the snake, as both LeBron and AD referred to, to him, is John Morant. Now, one of the more frustrating moments of the season uh, was the third quarter against Memphis, where they scored like 47 or 51 points. It was one of those mega quarters that we really gave up. And Ja had 27 or 30 points in that. And it, he was scoring against our drop coverage kind of over and over and over again. And I think it gets to just kind of a basic principle, D, that applies to both transition defense and our half-court defense. And that is try to not let Ja Morant get a running start. If Ja can get a running start, he can go around you, he can go over you. 
every time he jumps, I hear like when Super Mario would jump in the the Nintendo version of the game, right? The the boing that goes along with that. He has access to athletic to shots that other guys don't have access to certain angles and windows that other guys don't have because of the combination of his speed and leaping ability. But a lot of it comes from the ability to get a running start. And let's start with transition defense. That is a place where all year long, the not stopping the ball until it gets to the R three point line, right into the attacking zone has been something that's been an issue all year long from day one. Darvin ham has been talking about our running habits. We think about that a lot of times in transition offense, but it's way more important in transition defense because you will give up easy buckets. And if we're not stopping the ball against John Morant until after the half court line, like it's going to be very hard to contain him. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that to start off. John Morant in transition, they just got a defensive rebound. What do we do? He better be back. And this is where so many things happen before John Morant gets the ball that are super important in relation to what happens when when John Morant already has the ball. The two things that I think most of Pete are the proclivity of the Lakers to chase offensive rebounds and the idea of what is your floor balance offensively that's going to lead to good transition defense. And some two of the habits that the Lakers have not been very good at breaking this season, regardless of who's been on the roster. This was true pre-trade deadline, even pre-trade Rui. Right before Rui came, it was true, and it's been true ever since after. Right, and it's this idea of we like to go after offensive rebounds. AD does it, but Russ used to do it a ton. Pat Bev used to crash from weak side corner. Like, like we had a lot of players that like to Great chase point. offensive rebounds, and that's been replicated now with AD is still here, obviously, but Vanderbilt crashes the. The offensive glass a ton. Um, LeBron does this some. Like there's still a lot of players that like to sort of sneak in there and see what they could get. And our top guards, the guards who are back, they love to sit and watch. Like I've got the best seat in the house. Look at me. I'm right here. I'm I get to watch LeBron James shoot a top of the top of the key jumper. Look at that. Ooh, I like how he's holding his follow through <laughs> there. And they just love to watch. And there was not a lot of get back in them. And those two habits are the ones that those are things that need to be cleaned up. And like, mm-hmm. honestly, if I were the coaching staff, I might be directing the video room to be like, get me a super cut that's 30 minutes long of us just like not turning and mm-hmm. running to go back. Like, just so I would show them this is the this this right here can be the difference in a win and a loss in any given game this series. And when you only need to get four of them, that's where it starts, Pete. It's that idea of you're not going to stop Vando from crashing the offensive glass, but the back guards, they need to get back. And that third player, to me, it's about building that wall. And it needs to be three guys who can sort of form the two at the top and one behind. It's that phalanx of like, no, 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 no. There's too many bodies here. That's how it needs to work. And and so it is the most important thing. And it's the first thing that needs to happen. You need to make Memphis play in the half court before anything else. Because if this is a transition series for Memphis, Memphis is going to get too many easy baskets. Yeah, so... 
that side of the ball, uh, I want to make a general point about Memphis first. So they're the high end lottery talent that they have is obviously John Jaron Jackson Jr. And then they've got a bunch of guys who are try hard is the is too negative of a of a term for them. Like they've got good smart basketball players, but they're they're high effort, low maintenance, buy into the scheme, buy into the system type players. And you know this is kind of the. These teams are similar in some ways, although LeBron and AD are these two, you know, number one overall pick, incredibly accomplished, et cetera. And then John ja Jaron are like they're they still have their best ahead of them, uh, but they're not the same type. Like John's a small point guard and JJJ is as close as you can get Anthony, to Anthony Davis defensively, but he's not near the offensive player, even though he's he a good offensive player. He doesn't have all the stuff in his bag that AD does. And yet. You know, the way that like AD sometimes isn't featured to get back into a conversation that we've had before, whereas to me, like going into this series, AD is the guy that can just that can destroy uh, what Memphis is going to try to do in that half court defense. But uh, so that that overlay of, of so what does that mean and how does that apply to how the, the Grizzlies are going to be? Uh, and I, I just think that what are they going to try to deploy most uh, against the Lakers? What are they going to try to take away? And, and Pete, did you want to stick on the, in the defensive half court or? Well, I, I think that is kind of the answer to the question that you just asked is my biggest concern is our ability to sustain. It's not the, the ability to run back on defense in transition yeah, yeah. once it's to do it a hundred times and to do it over the course of six games. Thank God for the scheduling in the first round. I think that's going to be way less of a factor because you can run your ass off and then, you know, rest up for a day and then have another day off and then play the game the day after that in the first round. But that like, that is how I think they press their advantage against us is can we sustain against them? And so that's, and that to me is is the right way to think about the concern. And this goes back to not just not just LeBron, but like LeBron and AD having been through a lot of battles and this young team that is going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And how much of that can you sustain when you know that you have a full seven game series as opposed to coming out in game one? And like thinking back to the 1920 run, you know, that team was so good and it was clicking so hard. They didn't really get threatened that much um, at all. When Miami pushed them to six, then they're, they're like, all right, you know, all right, fine. Here's the best. Here's the right. Caruso blitzing yeah. everything. We're like, we're ending this series. Up by tonight. 30 at halftime. Yeah. yeah, like that. And so I think that the so the Lakers can reach a higher overall level than Memphis can. But Memphis is Memphis can sustain a at least somewhat higher level than the, what, what the Lakers can bring consistently. So literally in game one. Uh, Memphis is going to come out with all of the energy like that. Oh, yeah. Are the Lakers going to say it's game it's game one and we're going to feel this out like LeBron has done in the past? Or are they going to say, you know what? They did it in game one. Now here's the here's the, the clamp down. Here's the answer in game two. And I think that it's hard because you have to you have to view this as a road team. A split is mandatory. You have to go into this thinking about getting a split, mm -hmm. but you're also getting into dangerous territory if you don't bring that proper energy in game one and just sort of say, ah, oh, we'll get it back in game two. And and so I, aside from the actual basketball matchups and mechanics that I'm sure we'll get to in the second half of the pod, I um I think there's reason to be skeptical that the Lakers are going to be able to meet the energy of Memphis in both of these two games. I think that they'll do it in one. And is that going to be enough on its own to beat them? That's uh, that's you know up for debate. They better not take that approach. Yeah, we'll lose the series if we take that approach.
I, it's not. I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to do it intentionally. No, I know. No, no. I no, just sure. think that it's. It's. I think that it's a. I think that it would be. We haven't seen that they're that they that they can that they exactly. won't approach it that way. Exactly. Okay. And that's yeah. that's still a thing. Like the idea that that goes away. You are what your habits are. One hundred percent. One of the things that is interesting to me in this sort of bigger pic- picture view isn't just the energy of the Lakers, which is going to be super important, or the energy of Memphis. It's how do you channel that energy in order to be the best version that you need to be on any given possession? There's a line, basically. And they talk about the thin line between love and hate. There's also this thin line between like energy and frantic. Yeah. This is where Kobe, when Kobe was bad, that's how I think the game seven against the Celtics. I like, I picture Kobe like in his own world, like this is the biggest game of my life. I'm going to come out and just like, and it like, he, he went haywire almost with, he was too intense. Yeah. And so one way of interpreting what Mike was, was discussing is also a calm and a knowing, right. And an experience and Memphis has some experience. They, they had they went to the second round last year and they gave the Warriors all that they could handle in in that second round series. But LeBron's been to the mountaintop a bunch of times and he's been to the finals. I mean, more seasons than any player that's even on the Grizzlies roster has played in the NBA, I think, besides maybe Steven Adams, right? Like, <laughs> so this idea of the Lakers being able to sort of channel the energy that they do bring and channel it correctly. Is that going to be more that, that better folk? What I'm asking for is better focus, right? Because the idea of the Lakers with the nature of their roster and of their, like their players bringing more energy than the Grizzlies. If that's your philosophy, you're going to lose that battle. What the Lakers need to be is more focused and smarter. And like, it's that idea of like Bruce Lee and like the one inch punch, right? It's just like, I'm going to bring all of this force in this minimal amount of like distance and I'm still going to knock you on your ass, right? And that's what the Lakers can bring, but that requires a level of mental energy way more than like the physical run around stuff. Now that run around stuff is super important, particularly in transition defense. And, and we're going to get more into the excess of O's of what I think is going to be even more important, which is like locking down in the half court to make their lives as hard as possible. Um, but that's sort of where I am with that energy discussion, Pete. It's just like, look, you're not going to outrun and outgun the, t- the team of 20-year-olds, right? But what you can do is be more focused than them, Mike. One more point to introduce here to throw to Pete uh, just about Memphis. So last year, they did play well um, in the playoff series against Golden State. Of course, Ja got hurt, right? Uh, and and that's that's what ended up being a big difference. But a couple of the players that were playing in that series, like De'Anthony Melton was fifth in minutes. Brandon Clark was sixth in minutes. Kyle Anderson was ninth. Um, Zaire Williams actually played a little bit more than Anderson, which was odd. And so you have Bain and JJJ uh, at the top, and then you had Brooks. So it's a, uh, sorry, and Tyus as well. So they, that is plenty of experience, but it's a little bit different from what their mix was last year. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm curious sort of as they get down, there are going to be guys that are, that are just not as much of a threat, Uh, still good players, but like, that's where I'm curious. Like Xavier Tillman is probably going to be in the starting lineup. Good player, you know, not, not a great player. Santi Aldama, good player, not a great player. Drew Roddy, rookie. Um, 
Zaire Williams, is he going to play at all? Conchar, um, who I actually like. And then Kennard, who's been shooting better than anybody in the NBA, you know, but and, and can make actually a couple plays. Like I, I kind of like Kennard a little bit too, but he so they're which of these guys are going to end up being key? You know, how much of it is just going to be about those about you know, Bain alongside Ja and JJJ? And I, I'm just curious, Pete, what what strikes you the most out of that group? I love love that question. Let's take a break, come back and get into it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So first to start off, the several of the players who will not be playing that were the big minute guys, whether it was Kyle Anderson, just the other day I was raving about how good he he is on defense, you know, despite, you know, some physical limitations. Brandon Clark, I'm a huge Brandon Clark fan. Obviously, he won't be playing in in that. The nature of their bench especially is very different than their starters. Starters Like Aldama has all sorts of sweet shot making and ball fakes. He's like the type of dude that'd be great at horse or, uh, you know, on the and one circuit, like he's way more skilled than I think people realize. Uh, David Roddy, you know, uh, Mike Garcia was on here talking about him during our draft preview and he's emerged as a big uh, contributor over the second part of their season. They're much more offensively skilled canard, as you brought up than last year's like defend and run and that style. So they're just stylistically different. And so as we continue this conversation about how to defend them, I think how you defend their starters versus how you defend your bench, their bench are a different thing. And they're just, they have a lot of smoke in that starting lineup and strength and athleticism where it's more skill guys who also fit into that team concept. Yeah. That dichotomy of like the different faces that, that you can show and, and the different styles that, that you can play. I I think those are the markers of really good teams. I, th- I think the Lakers are a similar team in that respect mm-hmm. in that they can play big, they can play small. One of the things that I'm interested in seeing is um, is how much the Lakers play three guard lineups versus a Memphis team that may go smaller over certain stretches. Like um, I was digging into some lineup data um, and looking at Lakers lineups since March 1st and Grizzlies lineups versus March 1st and which groups have been successful versus which groups have not. And the idea of 
Memphis playing more of their wings offensively um, because they don't have a lot of bigs and what that does to the Lakers rotation potentially where Rui has really been an, an important player, but that's like playing bigger there, like LeBron at center potentially. Like there's so many different ways that this series can go. And a lot of it's going to be dictated, I think, based off of the versatility that you discussed, not only with Memphis, but with the Lakers. When I think about defensively, though, it's still going to come down to how do you deal with Ja at the point of attack? Like, how do you slow him in transition, just like you said? And then in the half court, how do you keep him in front? And what are the tactical decisions that the team is making in, in, in order to try to shut off that water with Ja? Because he is capable of a 25-point quarter, Pete. I think... And this is something that we've done a, a few times over the course of this season. I think they have two guys in their starting lineup where we're fine with them shooting as many jumpers as they'd like. Now, we can always take this too far and let NBA players comfortably step into a completely clean look and then be like, oh, that guy made four threes. And I'm like, yeah, did you see the threes that, that he took? You know? Yeah. Um, but with both Ja and Dylan Brooks, like, we need to put pressure on them. And as you pointed out yesterday, post pod, uh, LeBron had some gave a, a thorough scouting report of the Memphis roster in which part of that was like, can't disrespect Dylan Brooks. And what was your theory on that, D? My theory was LeBron was trolling. It's just like because he is <laughs> he is absolutely going to disrespect Dylan Brooks and give him jumpers and basically invite him to shoot. And so that idea of like can't disrespect him, it's just like, OK, buddy. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Yeah, it's like Ty Lue saying, we're not going to double Anthony Davis. Right. It's just like, oh, w word? Yeah. You're not? Okay. I, I, sh anyways, I share your skepticism on this, <laughs> right? And so with that starting group, one of the things about the drop coverage that we've talked about so much is I think it's a way of getting through the regular season, right? It's for Anthony Davis, and you think about this idea of energy and sustainment. You need enough gas in the tank, Mike, to be able to get to this portion of the season, which is the part that matters. But we've seen when we have shut people's water off, we haven't been in the drop coverage all of the time. And I think that this is going to be the type of series where it's going to be a mix of different guys on jaw, different, uh, you know, different looks, all of that. But I don't think we're going to see as much... Just let Ja get a running start against a drop coverage time after time after time. You guys remember last year when Ja shot like 49% from three against the Lakers yeah. and 30% against everybody else in the league? Yes. Uh, I, th I think you have to, for the length of the series, allow him to shoot more and, and hope that that builds. And if he's going to make a couple, like that's fine. And don't do the, don't do the thing that the Lakers did last game uh, to Minnesota where you're just completely leaving open shooters. Yeah. But the point is, and this I saw this against any number of teams, like Anthony Davis, he can either stay low in the drop or he can come higher to the level of the screen. Like he can, he alone can eviscerate basically any type of offense that you want to run um, just by moving him around some. So he's the key. And AD played two games against Memphis this year. Here were his averages, 29 points, 20.5 rebounds, 3.5 blocks. And let's yeah. see, two turnovers, four assists. He um, remember the game at Memphis. AD was absolutely destroying. And that was the one where Ja has the crazy third quarter. Mm -hmm. And then he again, you know, destroyed in the home game without Ja and LeBron didn't play in that game either. So I Darius and I were texting about this because he's going to be writing about it for three things. And we were talking about kind of this whole well, AD and then AD light in some ways and Jaron Jackson Jr. And we talked about this before with the whole balance between LeBron and AD. But I, I know that this was about job, but I'm just I'm still thinking because AD is AD is part of what 
allows you to deal with jaw oh, defensively. Absolutely. And then on the other end, they just cannot afford to let Jaron Jackson Jr. try and defend AD. Uh, and and if they do, I, I think that means foul trouble, whereas AD can defend JJJ without getting into foul trouble. Uh, and that right there, to me, could flip the whole series. It's just that if if the Lakers really do identify that and, and AD is kind of remains in that dominant mood that he's been in, Against the Grizzlies, he, to me, is is the singular key player to the series. The interesting thing to me, and we'll see how much the Lakers do or do not change up some of their regular defensive coverages, but to me, they're going to go under every Morant screen, and I think they're going to try to find angles to go under even when they try to set the ball screen lower, and they're going to ask Anthony Davis to be the guy who navigates that best when the Lakers can't get under a screen appropriately and they do have to go over and then Jaw does get a bit of that running start, Pete. He is very good, even though you think about him as like a runway player, he is also very good as a stop and start yes. player. He is very good at putting guys in jail. His athleticism is zero to 60 in an instant. He can elevate from basically a, a dead standstill. stop. It's it's nuts. Yeah. That's what, when I was saying earlier that he has access to like windows and angles that other players don't, it's because other play, players can't do that. No, it's very Derrick Rose-like, young Derrick Rose. And if you never got the chance to see young Derrick Rose, just go bring up the Bulls highlights where he was like an MVP in his third or fourth season. The level of athleticism and the, the places that he can get to on the court like, you just don't expect it for a player that's that small. So AD, to Mike's point, is super important in, in all of that because the Lakers are going to need him to defend one and a half players. He's going to have to defend his own guy, mm-hmm. and he's always going to have to have an eye on John Morant. Where that gets trickier is where he does have to guard Triple J when they do go to some of their better lineups, which are going to be with Jackson at center. And to me, we talked a lot about the Lakers' defense which is going to be critical against Memphis's offense, but like way more important is like, how are the Lakers going to generate points, Pete, against a very stingy Grizzlies defense and guys who like Brooks's on ball ability. Bain is a very good on ball player, but also a good health yeah. defender. He's in his own way, like almost like a modern day Danny Green, but with balls, but with more ball skills, like, like he is, Bain's an excellent, excellent basketball player. And then Triple J, it's just like he is one of those guys that can defend everywhere and do it credibly. And so to me, this is going to be like the Lakers. We talked about Memphis in transition. The Lakers are going to need to hunt transition opportunities. And then in the half court, they're going to need to find their way against a very good Memphis defense. I was just thinking to direct this to you, Pete. What is the best five group for Memphis against the Lakers? And I think that it's different on offense and defense. And that's that gets tricky in a postseason. It's what happens for a lot of teams. Yes. It's why I like these interchangeable players. It's why I love the 1920 yep. Lakers where uh, you could you could have it was green and KCP and right like that. They were fine on both ends this year uh, for the Lakers. Like this is where for the Lakers have a similar issue with Vanderbilt uh, in the starting lineup. But I think. Rui, I think, ends up being a guy that you can trust on both ends. And same thing with Dennis, if you want to go a little bit smaller in that context. But so for Memphis, it would be Kennard to me um, on offense. But if you have Kennard out there, then your your Ja, Bain, Brooks, 
Kennard. Well, who's playing the four? I guess Brooks is playing the four mm-hmm. then, right? Well, who's playing the three defensively? Well, I guess Bain. Who's playing the two? Kennard. That's places that you can attack. And that's, that's right. And that's guess who has to guard AD then? JJJ. Yep. And that's that to me is is just I get it. How get how great JJJ is, but like just give AD the ball and force him to be in all those actions and just wear his ass out. Um, if that's going to be the case. And if they if they don't have Kennard out there, then they're not as potent because then it's Tillman who's just basically in the dunker yes. spot. Yes. And and that that to me is a big key. Amen to all of that. And that's why so many of the the paths and routes to what we should do on offense is give the ball to Anthony Davis. Like there's so many signs for that. I think one of the under-discussed parts of this series, it's just basic sports. They're down to their third string center. And their top two guys are so stylistically different that it gives them a level of versatility where there's going to be times where Steven Adams is super helpful. I think the series would be one of them to a point. I also think there's a reason why big guys like him who can't really defend the three-point line a ton get played off the court in the playoffs. That said, Brandon Clark, same type of thing. They're down to their third string guy. They're starting with Xavier, Xavier Tillman. And so that plus the fact that Memphis's entire defense functions a lot better when Jaron Jackson Jr. can roam off of his guy. And so Anthony Davis is the exact opposite of that. It's not only does JJJ have to guard him, he probably needs a second guy or at least one and a half at least to be able to handle that. And he's also very foul prone. If we can get him in foul trouble in this series, we're in business for a because it plays into their biggest personnel weakness. And so that idea of who ends up on the floor at the end of the game, I think will be informed to a degree on how much we're going through Anthony Davis, because Darius, you've been talking about the three guard lineup, the one that we really like. We've lamented so many of them over the year, but the D'Lo, Dennis and Austin one has been very good. And then I think Rui is the other guy. It's either Rui or Dennis kind of closing with the core four, depending on the game that D'Angelo Russell has. No, totally. And the three guard lineup, they've played all of three minutes together since LeBron made his comeback from his foot injury in that first Bulls game. Three minutes. They're a plus damn near 40 net rating, 39.7 net rating. Those three players together in 96 minutes of game action and 93 of those came during the stretch when LeBron was hurt. So that. Accessing that group to me is an open question that I'm hoping to get answered. And because I think that if there are lineups where, and some of Memphis's better lineups since March 1st, so they had 14 lineups since, since March 1st that have played 15 minutes or more together. Only seven of those had a positive net rating. Their current projected starting lineup, just for a heads up, is not one of those. I think they were like a minus 1.5 or 1.7. But some of these groups were just like, oh, look, it's Jaw and Kennard and Brooks and Bain, just like Mike was saying. Or it's three guards and then Aldama mm-hmm. or Roddy. And Roddy is like more of a power forward type, but he's he's six yeah, foot four. Yeah, just defensively, like him helping right? on Anthony Davis, AD's not even going to see him. No, it's just like all of the stuff around the glass and like rebounding. Just Adam's not setting screens for Jaw. Great point. Yeah, but is a is a little bit different. I mean, t- I guess Tillman, you know, is okay, but that's and Jaw can still get get past you without a screen, but just something to think about. Well, this is where too, it's just like there's so many matchup questions that we haven't even gotten to, like in this pod, and and I think we'll learn more after game one, and so and there will be plenty of time to discuss this stuff because of all of the off days between the games. But 
there are so many things that I just want to see what happens on the court and have some game film. Uh, One of them was something that you brought up after the, the pod yesterday as we were talking, uh, again, flipping it back to the defensive end. It would be easy to think that it's a Dennis versus Ja in terms of like, who do you put on Ja? It's right. Not- who, who do you think Dennis guards? It's not. I, now, I do think he's going to guard John guard- to a degree, right? But but who's the most yes. important guy for him to, to defend? He's going to be on Bane. Why? He should be on Bane. Why? Because Dennis is the best lock and trail player defender that the yep. Lakers have. And Bane is their best off-ball worker who also works in handoff actions and also runs ball screens. And the one game, and Bain had a bad game for a lot of reasons. He was missing a lot of shots. He he missed some layups. This is the game that's in L.A. But Dennis was in his jersey. After that game, I made this analogy after the pod and no one heard. It's like Dennis was like, he was like in the Bjorn. You know, like, like if you're a, like, yes, like, like if you're a, yeah, like if you're a parrot, you'll you'll have this sort of backpack thing where but you hold the baby in it and they're like in the front or like cradled to to the side. And that's exactly how Dennis was. <laughs> yep, hands free, man. So you could do a bunch of stuff. And so that's how Dennis was. He was just like, you ain't shaking me. You're not losing me. I am connected to you at all times. And that led to a lot of like Bane. It wasn't just that. Bain didn't get off or he missed shots. It was that Dennis was limiting yeah, his he shot attempts. Yeah. He was limiting his ability to actually get open where he could create offense. And that was super important in the context that Mike was saying that like jaw didn't play, but Bain's a dude who's been averaging 20 points since the all-star break. Like he's an excellent offensive player and they need his offense. The way that Memphis is going to win this series isn't because the games are going to be 80 to 79. They're like, this is the modern NBA. Like the Lakers might've struggled on, on offense against the Wolves and that game was in the hundreds, but it's like, they're going to need to score. And if you can limit Bane and it becomes a jaw and Triple J need to be the guys who do all of the scoring. And meanwhile, Triple J also has to be this elite defender and potentially spend 40 or 50% of his minutes defending Anthony Davis. Like the asks start to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's not to say that Memphis can't answer those asks, that they won't be up to the challenge. And Brooks enters into this too, right? Brooks can give you a 20 point game, even though he can be, you know, on, on the wild side. Yes, but Brooks's instability, Mike, is the tricky part. So please hop in here. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know how much, it's, it's funny. We could probably go two hours, yes. uh, right, uh, on this. The last point that I want to make, and it's, a, it's jumping off of the one that I was getting to earlier, and it's about energy and it's all that. And while I think that there's fair reason to be skeptical of, you know, the the early series energy as to into the Lakers figuring it out. I do think that four out of yes. seven times. That's why I wanted to get here. That they will have. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's and this is where this is LeBron. This is LeBron like they're the Lakers in terms of basketball. I can make more basketball arguments, matchups, places to pry uh, to, to pry upon places to spam than I can for Memphis Agreed. based on what I've seen. Now, Memphis is Memphis is one of those teams that has that I so respect them. I think they have a great roster. I love what Zach Kleiman has done. I like a lot of their players. Like this is not one of those teams that I'm texting you guys on the side, like can't stand watching this team. Like they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they they're gonna fail eventually. Like this is not this is a real team I like and respect. 
Uh, but I, th- I think that because in part of, of what their youth is and their key players, like I do think that the Lakers can be um, a slightly better um, team over the course of a series. But it's just how, when and how often they, they can get there. Um, th- there's a reason for some of that skepticism based on, on, the, on the age and then based on the, the still the lack of continuity um, that they have. I just wanted to qualify, though, that I do think that they've got an, that, that they've got enough. And if I had to pick now, um, I do think that the Lakers would win the series. Um, we'll we'll get to all that later. Uh, and I just wanted to to qualify uh, that. Like, I, I think that they'll they'll find a way to pull from where they need to at least enough, even if it's going to lead to some frustration for people expecting that it's going to be there in games one, two, three and four. Should be a great one. Uh, really looking forward to this. Next time you hear from us will be after the game, uh, after game one. So go Lakers. Let's uh, have good health for both teams. We'll be back then. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Missing. It's over. And shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.